one of the things I think is really important to consider here is that we're constantly fighting the last battle. Like it's important to ban no knock warrants. They're incredibly dangerous. Anyone with common sense can realize how in a country with lots of people who own guns legally, that a no knock warrant feels like a home invasion and will lead to someone's death. Right. So it's just a very obvious thing. Yes. Let's ban them. But also, it's not going to be no not a no-knock warrant the next time. It's going to be something else. And right. Jacob Fry has proven that he's ex- he's very he's not competent. We're rolling. We're rolling. This is a real, real thing. Real, 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 real thing. We're in the wedge neighborhood right now, 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 right now. We're back. Jason, how are you? Um, you know, certainly it's been a rough week and a half. Um, but you know, I think as a citizen, it's been a little easier on me than it has been for Aisha or, you know, the people who are elected officials and are in charge of, of a lot of the city at this point. Um, or not in charge. Right. Possible. That some some of- who are, some who are taking charge and some who are abdicating charge. Some who uh, have no power on paper, but trying to assert some control over the situation. I'm extremely disappointed in Mayor Fry. Have I told you, Jason, that I don't think Mayor Fry is a good mayor? Have I told you that before? I don't think you've ever been so direct about that. Okay. Usually he, you try to be nicer. He's not a good mayor. No. And I was mentioning it to Aisha that sometimes these cases are complicated. It's like, oh, we don't have video. We don't know all the facts. There's haziness, like in the right. Chauvin case, it's like, well, and the other cops testified during that trial, he wasn't following department policy. The other cops said, turn him over. Like we don't, we don't restrain someone in this way. And there, there are, there's a cop testifying in the trial for the other three officers who says you have a duty to intervene. You're violating department policies. In this case, you can draw a straight line. From Jacob Fry, his lack of action, and he knew it, he knew it was a problem by pretending right. to to ban no knock warrants. There's an acknowledgement there that this is a dangerous thing. Brianna Taylor was killed because of it. We have high profile cases of no knock warrants going bad. This is this is extremely bad. I, I yeah. don't know. I I don't have the words to describe. What a massive stain this is on Jacob Fry as a person. Like any reasonable human being could have seen this and that it was a problem. Yeah. You know, and I think what bothers me is that he has been so cavalier with his lies, Um, you know, certainly going back before the George Floyd murder, but um, certainly in that time frame, about the things that he has claimed that he is doing, the results that we would be seeing soon, the um, the policy changes that would be happening. And certainly he has made policy changes that have shielded MPD from greater scrutiny, um, you know, but just the way that he has re- gone in front of camera after camera and taken any microphone that he can to say that what is needed is transparency and honesty, and he has provided none of that. Um, he has again and again tried to deflect any criticism that comes at him specifically. And I think that's one of the things that is going to be the hardest for him right now is that 
there's no way to deflect this. There's no 11th grade excuse to your parents that will get you out of this. There's no um, twisting of words and playing with connotation versus denotation that can allow him to say that he is not directly responsible for the murder of Amir Locke with his inaction. Well, one of the things I'm a little disheartened by is it feels like the politics have uh, calcified, like the factions are pretty set. Like we, we've gone through this last two years and everyone is in their camp. And I feel like to a certain extent, Jacob Fry has the people he has. He's not going to lose them. I don't think they think he's a great mayor, but it's not as though they feel like they were wrong to have reelected him. I don't think if we reran the last election tomorrow that he wouldn't still win. Yeah. I mean, there's that's certainly a possibility um, because I think that, you know, Unfortunately, a lot of the city has decided that he represents not just himself as a mayor, but he represents this idea that we need police. Um, And he certainly tied himself so closely to Chief Rondo um, over the past couple years and, you know, praised Rondo for everything. Um, And I think that that is a hard set of knots to untie. But I do think that, you know, there are certain people in the community who, if they weren't outright supporters of him, they were detractors of his opponents. Um, They pushed for question one and against question two, um, like Nakima Levy Armstrong. Um, And I think that, you know, some of those people, at least on a surface level, are rethinking their, their connection to Jacob Fry. You think, you think he's losing uh, people? I mean, I hope so. I think that, you know, the, the one thing that he has going for him right now is that he just got reelected. He won't have to answer to voters about this for almost four years. Right. There's enough Uh, time. I I know I said this to you privately, but there's enough time for him to like ride the backlash to the backlash again. uh You suffer through that initial pain and embarrassment to your reputation, go on long enough. And you're like, no, it's, it's their fault for reacting so badly to it. Right. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. His whole thing has been, well, what happened was bad, but you don't want to, like if if we change things structurally, nobody will be safe. Right. You think I'm doing a bad job now? Wait for these other people. They're really yeah. crazy. That's the, yeah. that's the strategy. We've got four years to uh, build up to that. Third third term of Jacob Fry. But I do think that it's interesting that there has been more of a public push, um, and certainly you know you mentioned um, Robin Wansley Warlabaugh. Um, calling for Jacob's resignation and, you know, people calling publicly for him to resign, to step down, um, mass filings of ethics protests against him. You know, those are things that I think are not going to pressure him into resigning. I don't think that he has the capacity for shame and that level of self-reflection that would allow him to step down. Um, He cares too much about his image um, and his sense of self. But I do think that it's important that people around the country, especially, you know, on the heels of that ridiculous piece in Vogue magazine, that people see what, what people here on the ground in Minneapolis think of him. And certainly he has his allies that have a lot of money and that have a lot invested in the status quo staying exactly where it is. And they know that that is what Jacob represents publicly. um, 
there are a lot of citizens who are looking at him now that and saying, you know, since they don't have to compare him to Kate Knuth or to Sheila Nejad, that they're saying like, well, this guy's terrible. Right. The, the problem is that's what they were saying before the election too. I think that, yes, probably thinking this guy is terrible, but he's not the other two. One of the things I think is really important to consider here is that we're constantly fighting the last battle. Like it's important to ban no knock warrants. They're incredibly dangerous. Anyone with common sense can realize how in a country with lots of people who own guns legally, that a no knock warrant feels like a home invasion and will lead to someone's death. Right. So it's just a very obvious thing. Yes. Let's ban them. But also, it's not going to be no not a no-knock warrant the next time. It's going to be something else. And right. Jacob Fry has proven that he's ex- he's very he's not competent. He he's good at getting headlines. One of the phrases he used in the summer of 2020 after George Floyd was killed was the drumbeat of policy changes that he was going to enact as a way right. to say, let's not change. You know, don't get rid of me. Don't change the charter. I've got a drumbeat of policy changes coming. And one of them was this no-knock ban. Right. The only point of the drumbeat was to get headlines about how he's got a drumbeat of policy changes. He would list off one after the other after the other. Yep. And how many of them are just as empty as the no-knock ban? Is any change happening at all? We've got a chief who's promoting to be training director at MPD, a guy who was fired for misconduct. The whole system is rotten. Exactly. Yeah. The, the systems are completely collapsing from within under the weight of their own corruption. I mean, Amelia Huffman was named as, you know, one of the people who created such a toxic work environment for the whistleblower officer that ended up getting fired last year. Right. The, the famous Arredondo lawsuit, him and a handful of other black officers named her as a problem. Yeah. And we spent so much time talking about Arredondo and how he sued the department for racism and how that was a sign. He was the reformer. Well, we've reverted back to somebody who's been there for 27 years or however long it is. I don't know. Yeah. I, I had not heard. Aisha said that uh, Huffman's not going to be the permanent chief. I, I had not heard those assurances, but I hope that's true. I, she seems know, like bad news. I had heard from other people that, you know, it was strictly intended to be an interim position. But I'm also curious at this point, um, you know, one of my friends, uh, at Bokanon's Profit on Twitter, and I have talked about this, that MPD is where careers go to die now. Who is going to want to take this job while MPD is still under investigation by the DOJ? Yeah. I'm Who is going to take anyone, this? Anyone would come in from outside to take this job. Exactly. And if you pick from someone inside, you're going to end up with an Amelia Huffman. You're going to end up with someone who's been fired and rehired, um, but has been a training officer. It's just an example of how corrupt the entire department is that these officers are even still around. You know, people always say like, well, I know good police officers. Good police officers should be getting rid of these police officers, but it's not happening. I feel like they all know each other's dirty secrets. And so who's going to blow the whistle? (laughs) If I blow the whistle on them, they blow the whistle on me. Right. And if you blow the whistle, what ends up happening? You're the one who gets fired. You're the one who ends up having to move out of state. Yeah. The the anonymous source for, I forget what the story was, but uh, basically a, a cop was an anonymous source for some article somewhere yeah. talking about Wasn't how bad like the culture GQ was or something, something like that. And she ended up getting disciplined for it. Right. And I, for a long time, I think that was like the only, or maybe it still is the only cop who's been disciplined for the aftermath of uh, George Floyd's death. 
and um, what was the officer's name? Officer Knight, who got demoted for saying that they couldn't keep hiring the same old good old boys or whatever. Yeah, I mean, I would accept Art Knight as chief. <laughs> Bring back Art Knight, please. He was the one who said, like, uh, some small number of cops shouldn't be cops. What was it? 3%, 5%? So we just can't judge that three to six. I mean, we have three to six percent of cops who shouldn't be cops. And, and I'll be the first one to say that we have some members on this department who shouldn't be here. I posted a video of it and City Pages picked it up. And they talked to John Elder and even though it was on video and there's audio of it and like you could see he's there in council chambers saying it, John Elder had to lie about it and like, no, he didn't actually say that. And I forget what the the humorous uh, explanation for that and how it, he didn't actually say what he said was, <laughs> it was, the, it was the craziest thing, one of the craziest things I've ever seen. He said it. How are you going to lie that he didn't say it? But Anyway, long story short, bring back Art Knight. Are you ready? Are you with me, Jason? Should we bring back Art Knight as permanent chief? Do we start this campaign? Are you skeptical? Uh, I mean, I would be skeptical that Art Knight would want the position at this point. Um, and, you know, my my belief is much more to tear down the system than to try to patch over it with... Come on other people but if we're going to be stuck with a chief who is part of mpd now i think art knight would be the only choice that would be reasonable let's get behind Art Knight, you and me jason we're gonna boost all right let's let's reach out to him and get him on on the uh the pod you can campaign for it publicly i'm sure that would convince jacob fry if you and I endorsed a candidate for chief. <laughs> Maybe if you did and I didn't have anything mm. to do with oh, my, think, my endorsement would be of the kiss of death for anyone with Jacob. Do you think Jacob Fry cares what I think? I think that Jacob Fry is not so much cares what you think, but feels that you could be useful in conveying his message. Oh, really? I think that that's how he views most media. I think he's written me off entirely. That's possible. Persona non grata. I mean, he he definitely has me blocked on his uh his cell phone that oh. that he gave oh, out the Jason, number to. Jason, you are very cruel to people. I am sending mean messages to our mayor. Yes, I like I like to believe in the basic goodness of other human beings. Like I don't believe Jacob Fry is a bad person. I think he's just not up to this job. He has flaws. He's got blind spots like all the rest of us. I think he's, he runs with a bad crowd. How's that Jason? But I don't, like, I don't think he's trying to get people killed. Right. Mm-hmm. I I think that that is a very fine line to parse. I don't think that he wants to have people killed while he is the mayor but I don't think that he is doing anything to prevent it either. And when you're the, the mayor and the executive of the city, the, the person that has exclusive accountability for the, the actions of MPD and all you do is try to deflect their actions away from you. Then yes, I do think that by course of his action, he is putting people at risk and that he bears responsibility for this. He definitely has responsibility for not acting. But I think if you told him, Jacob, in two weeks, this bad thing's going to happen unless you do this, he would do it. He's just very bad at looking into the future and formulating uh, ways of being good at his job. He's bad at being good at his job. Right. Well, I mean, it's like what I brought up with Aisha, like to your point about how the next thing isn't going to be a no-knock warrant. I think that the next thing is going to be some neighborhood is going to hire private security and private security is going to severely injure or kill someone. And that is the sort of thing that you can get out ahead of. You can say, no, we are, we are a city. We are a community. We do not do this to our fellow citizens. Um, whatever. You could, you know, he could condemn it. There can be ordinances passed. There can be, 
many things, but I don't think that he would do those things because it would be upsetting to people on the downtown council. It would be upsetting to um, the various landlords and developers that gave him hundreds of thousands of dollars over his reelection campaign. So he won't do those. I think that he's made a calculation as to who he, whose well-being he is more concerned about. To be fair, I think like a ban, and I don't know the legalities here, but a ban on like private security services would probably be in the council's domain, be legislative. So if you want that to happen, talk to your council member. I Not literally just it did. could happen. What's that? <laughs> I literally just did. Yeah, but he, I'm just saying that Jacob Fry could not do that. Not no, to, but he could certainly propose things like that to to council. He could use his bully pulpit to say we should not be doing these things. This shouldn't even be a point of discussion in the city because we're better than that. But he won't. One of the things that came up in a government structure presentation this week was uh, some confusion about the whole the mayor proposes and the council disposes formulation, which I think is a very stupid thing to say, and it confuses people unnecessarily. It's often said that the executive proposes and the legislature disposes. But can you define um, dispose? So there's a, the saying that the executive proposes and the legislature disposes. Like the council proposes too. Just because things rhyme doesn't mean you should use them as a phrase. Come on, city clerk Casey Carl. What was my <laughs> original point here? But it was to confirm that, yes, the mayor proposes, can propose, and the council can dispose. But the council can also propose. Right. And mostly does. Jacob Fry doesn't have any new ideas. No. No, Jacob Fry is a candidate of the status quo, not uh, not progress or looking forward. But again, let's emphasize not a bad person. I think he is a bad person. Okay, well, this is where I, you and I, 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 you and I are going to part ways. <laughs> <laughs> I will go on record and say that if you have the sort of power, at least nominally, that the mayor of Minneapolis has over MPD and you lie about doing things that then lead to a young man dying in the city, that is a choice that you made. And I think the fact that not coming out immediately and saying, this is on me, this is my fault, I should have have done what I said I did. I think that makes you a bad person. Maybe my problem is, uh, I don't know what my problem is, Jason. I, I just want to, well, I don't, I don't want to, to get into that. <laughs> I, just, I don't know. I, I just see him as being very, not, not well suited for this job. Characterologically, if I can say that. Yeah. I think that that is a, a a made-up word that very well suits the description of him. He's a, uh, He makes a good TV mayor, really yeah. good at getting headlines, doing his little drumbeat of policy changes that don't amount to much. And over the coming months, you will see a consistent drumbeat of policy changes. Yeah. He's very good at saying, look at me, look at what I'm doing, but very bad at having results to match that attention. Is anything else happening, Jason, that we need to talk about? We've got Margaret Anderson Kelleher, who is yep. the city's new public works director. Something yeah, how I'm not I'm not very happy about that. But I won't yeah. go so far as to say she's a bad person. Will you say she's a bad person, Jason? I don't know her enough to uh to say that she is or is not. Um yeah, what else um, has been going on? Um, They're working on the uh, oh, the transition to the strong mayor. There's lots of confusion and lack of clarity around that. I don't know if I have any more else to add about that, but uh, turns out no. there was no plan to implement the strong mayor system that we all either voted for or against in the last election. 
<clears throat> yeah. Um, you know, certainly there has been a lot of discussion about infrastructure around Hennepin Avenue. Um, mm-hmm. Third Avenue Bridge is being worked on right now. Is it? Um, yeah, there's, you know, there's a lot going on in terms of the roads and um, construction in the city. But, um, you know, we've definitely here in the wedge seen kind of the flashpoint of the Hennepin Avenue reconstruction. So we're, you know, waiting to hear if that gets approved by council and moves forward. And to bring it back to Margaret Anderson Kelleher, I think the strategy there for opponents of the Hennepin Avenue uh, reconstruction as recommended by staff is that they're going to try to ditch the full-time bus lane. That's what they're going to try to do. Yeah. Sounds like she'll, uh, she's okay with the bike lanes. But another thing I keep thinking is let's not put too much on the idea of Margaret Anderson Kelleher as the dictator of streets. Like this is on the council. Yeah. The council has the power to affirm the recommended staff plan, which is based on, uh, numerous city policies, climate and transportation policies to include the bike route, include the full-time bus lane, include all the pedestrian improvements, include it all. This is a 60 year, 65 year street that we're reconstructing. We're all going to be dead halfway into its life, Jason. I predict you and I both will be dead well before this comes around again. Is it okay if I predict your death? Yeah, that's fine. I've been doing it for years. Um, But, you know, to to go back to something that we talked about with Aisha, this is sort of a a thing that we can make, try to make some things right for that younger generation that we have so thoroughly fucked over in so many of our policies. We can at least make some concrete steps to try to set them up to have a world or at least a city where climate change is addressed and pushed back against as much as possible. They deserve to have a safer Hennepin Avenue than what we did. They deserve to have a community that focuses on the health and well-being of citizens over business interests. Um, and I think that's one of the things that really has been a great guiding principle for me is trying to think of, you know, the what is it that the people who are going to be living in this area, you know, past the next 10, 15, 20 years, what is it going to be like for them? And yeah. hopefully it will be better than, you know, one of the most dangerous streets in the city. I don't know. Sometimes I think about the future and it's like, this will be okay. Things will be better if you just let it happen. People will regret that you didn't go further. They're not, they're not going to think back and say, geez, they went too far on this street. I wish there was more cars here. They're not going to say that. Right. There's also the philosophical a thing here where there's lots of people talking about climate change and the future and the children. I don't have any children, Jason. I know you have a child who is getting up there in age. Boy, you're old. That's true. But like, I'm not doing this for the kids. I'm doing this for me. I live here. Yeah. (laughs) Right. I take the bus. I I think that's, you know, a very good illustration of the, the magnanimity and generosity of me and the selfishness right. and, and, uh, con- concern for nobody else of, of one John Edwards. It's true. Anything good I've ever done has been accidental. I am <laughs> constantly thinking of what's good for me. Yeah. That's how you ended up with this podcast. It's like, I, li- I live in this neighborhood. Why wouldn't I want Hennepin Avenue to be a safer street? With a, yeah. with a bus I can take quickly downtown, a place I can like take out yeah. a nice ride and ride safely a couple of blocks to a restaurant, not have like eat, eat on a patio at a restaurant and not have the sound of car traffic deafen me. 
these are all great things for the neighborhood, the neighborhood where I live. And I don't understand the opposition at all. Like I get the emotional attachment to parking. There's a parking study that shows, you know, 50, only 50 to 75% of the parking is occupied, even at peak times. Got plenty of parking spots and parking lots, side streets. We can sacrifice this parking and make Hennepin Avenue a better place. Yeah. Am I selling you? Am I selling you, Jason? Well, you didn't have to sell me, but hopefully, uh, you know, you're selling some of the the people who look at the concept of not having parking on a thoroughfare and, and get frightened. And my message to people is don't do it for the kids. Don't do it for the future. Don't do it to save the planet. Do it for yourself. Oh, I thought you were going to say do it for me, John Edwards. And do it, do it for me too. If you don't live here, you don't spend time on Hennepin Avenue, do it, do it for me. <laughs> Whatever you do, don't do it for the kids. That's a scam. This is why the kids don't like you. My message to kids is you go out there and be selfish. Go email your council member and tell them what's good for you. I think if we all act selfishly, things work out in the end. Is that some kind of economic theory? Is that capitalism I'm describing? Yeah, I think that's that's uh, uh, free market libertarianism. I think I just reinvented libertarianism and capitalism. I'm sorry. (laughs) Should we run the results of a wedge live poll? Yeah, absolutely. 65.8% of Wedge Live readers don't have a tattoo. That's what I found out. Do you have a tattoo? I have multiple tattoos. You're the one in three. Yeah. Can you explain why you got a tattoo? Do you regret any of your tattoos? I do not regret any of my tattoos. Um, I have gotten each of my tattoos after significant thought i i got my first tattoo the week of my 30th birthday um so you know i had a lot of terrible ideas for tattoos when i was younger that thankfully i didn't get but um, by the time that i was 30 i had a pretty good idea of some of the messaging i wanted on my body some of the things that i related to that i felt were good representations of me personally Um, And some of those things might not be as immediately important to me now, but they're a good reminder of where I've been and the fact that I'm still here. Um, And in fact, I'm getting another tattoo next month from my good friend, Emily Snow at Jackalope Tattoo. Okay. Sponsor. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, what's the tattoo going to be of? What is meaningful to you now in this moment that you're going to imprint on your body forever? It is a, um, so artists in October often do this thing called Inktober where they draw a specific writing prompt every day or a specific drawing prompt every day, um, for the month of October and then post the images. And Emily did this really cool drawing of, um, it's kind of like a camping scene of a tent um, in some rolling hills with mountains in the background that I have loved since the moment I saw it. Um, And she has kind of modified it and cleaned it up some to be a suitable tattoo. Um, So that is what is going to be, that's what's going to go on my body next because I love the outdoors. I love camping and I love my friend Emily's artwork. Shout out to Emily. Yeah. I don't I don't have any tattoos, Jason. If you were gonna recommend a tat a particular tattoo for me to put on my body, what do you think it would be? Did you say what or where? Just uh, well, either one, you can answer the where, but definitely okay. answer the what. So um I think uh I can see it over your shoulder there. You have the uh, wedge live cap. Yeah. Uh I think that that wedge live logo like on your arm or on Mm -hmm. your shoulder would look good like the baseball Um, style sports logo of wedge live not the standard logo right um but then you know when you're walking down lindale and someone says hey wedge live you can just be like that's right that's me yeah that'd be kind of cool 
Yeah. I, I, you know, um, I, I wear that Lindale hat everywhere. It gets me recognized. Maybe I could just do Lindale tattooed across my forehead in big blocky letters. You know, you, I, I didn't want to go too far with this, <clears throat> but you could shave your head completely and get a tattoo of like Lindale Avenue going down your mm-hmm. head. So if somebody looked behind you, it would be like they were looking south on Lindale um, from like mm-hmm. Lindale and Franklin. Yeah. Um, so they would see the the wedge co-op on one side and, uh, you know, the red dragon and hums on the other side. I would really um, look like a dirt bag. I, w- I would look like a dirt bag. Oh, I think it would look really classy on you. And But if you decided you look like a dirt bag, you'd just grow your hair out for a while. Right. Should we, we should definitely promote being on the charter commission. Yes. That's something people should do. There's like uh, 10 or 11 open seats. Applications are not open yet that I'm aware of, but you should keep an eye out for that. Yes. Think about what you would say and to convince a Hennepin County judge that you are appropriate for the charter commission. Yes. Um, I'm excited. Uh, I, I think that Taylor Deline will be applying for one of the openings. Mm. Um, oh, something else local that's going to be coming up in, in April uh, is the uh, Lena um, general meeting. The, the that annual the, meeting. That's the Wedge neighborhood. That's the neighborhood association in the Wedge neighborhood. People don't know this. Lowry Hill East is the official name. So. Yes. So Lowry Hill, not to be confused with the Lowry Hill Neighborhood Association. Right. Just across Hennepin Avenue. Yes. Um, so you've got an annual meeting. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be um, virtual this year. Um, just, you know, so that we can plan it without... Uh, having to cancel things at the last minute or things like that. Do people show up to these? I guess this is a bad question for you because you've only been VP of the Neighborhood Association for a little while. But what I used to enjoy, and I use enjoy very loosely about <laughs> annual meetings, is the free food. Yeah. And so you have a virtual meeting. It's just me staring into the homes of my worst neighbors and I don't think I would enjoy that. I need food. You got to yeah. coax me in with food. Can you send food to my home? I I will deliver. I will either deliver or send food to you. That that will be sourced in the wedge um, for you to enjoy during the meeting. Um, but you know it. It is difficult when it's virtual. Um, it it's hard because we. You know, a big part of the neighborhood association is the the community aspect and getting to know your neighbors and getting to speak with them, getting to sit down and have a meal together. Um, But we do take care of some important business. There will be some um, board seats that are up for um, re-election or, you know, that will have somebody new elected for that seat. Are you up? Are you running? Uh, My seat is actually... Um, secure until Ooh. next year. Um, Thank God. Thank God. I don't think I could take losing uh, VP Garcia. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's basically half of the seats will come up this year and then the other half next year. And I was elected in a special election um, to replace somebody who had left the board. Um, and their, that seat went through 2023. So I think I the be. pandemic the pandemic has made people mean and we we crave some of the the social gatherings. Yeah. I think a lot a lot of what's breaking in our society I know this will, will surprise some people is related to the pandemic. The what? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Who could have predicted such a thing? It is it feels like we're the frog boiling in the pot, but like we've been sitting in this crap for years and it's making us meaner. It's like destroying the bonds of our communities. Yeah. That would be nice 
and I, I, this is not an anti-mask, anti-vax argument. <laughs> it just <laughs> it would be nice to like get together as we used to in person. Yeah, and uh, you know, we we as a board have discussed um, having a summertime event again um, at Mueller Park um, to kind of have something scheduled outdoors, um, you know, to make sure that we can get some of that community involvement back, um, try to take advantage of some of the, the resources that we have here to have outdoor events. Um, you know, certainly you and I will, and Taylor will be discussing the future of wedge fest at some point. Right. Yeah. Second, um, we second annual wedge fest coming up 2022. Also the yeah. cat tour. I guess I have to do that again. Did you see that I was featured in uh, All Creatures magazine? Did you see that tweet? I did not. The Congratulations. Wrote, wrote up the cat tour. It's a <clears throat> it's a faith-based magazine. All about animals. And they did a story about the cat tour. The January, February issue of that magazine, I believe. That's that's wonderful. I'm glad to see that you are getting your uh, your due credit. In in the faith-based community, no less. Yeah. Who would have yeah. thought? One step closer to, to cult leader status. <clears throat> Here's an idea. I like that I'm just scrolling through my tweets of the last week to find ideas for us to talk about. This show could just be a wrap-up of everything I tweeted. People will love that. <laughs> so uh, somebody posted a screenshot of Lisa Goodman responding to... Mm. Uh, some question about a mere locks uh, killing by MPD during that no knock raid. Yes. And her response was, and it's technically correct. This is clearly a tragic situation and the loss of life of yet another black resident at the hands of law enforcement is horrifying. That said, council members have no control over MPD. This is the job of the mayor. I do not even serve on the council committee working on police issues or reform and have a lot to learn before I could comment on what I could do. Let's first say, and this is me talking, uh, no more quotes of Lisa Goodman. Lisa Goodman has been a council member since 98. She's been around. Yes. Lisa Goodman. What, what else do you have to learn here? And also, if you wanted control over MPD, I, th I think she should conclude the email by saying, and this is how I like it. Because yeah. she was against question two. She was for the strong mayor. She loves being able to say, not my job, not my problem. Unlike what we talked about with Aisha, where she's like trying to take responsibility. And that that's kind of not a great answer to give to people. Right. I you know, you I, I put it in the context of Lisa Goodman has been a city, a Minneapolis city council person longer than I've been a parent um, by two years. And if somebody came up to me and said, you know, I have, a, I have a question about being a parent. And I was just like, oh, I have no idea. I, I have a lot to learn before I could talk about being a parent. I mean, that's probably I, true, right? You've got a lot to learn still. Nobody perfects the art of parenting, but I'm, I'm distracted true. from your point here but I would still be able to offer a point of view and some knowledge that I've picked up over the past 22 years. Yeah. As opposed to just shrugging it off and saying, Oh, I, I have, I have more to learn before I could comment on it. Yeah. It's even worse than deflecting to the mayor and saying the mayor has control. And that's absolutely true. It is the mayor's job and solely his job. He has sole authority, but yeah. to say I have a lot to learn. You've been a council member since the late nineties. Yeah. What have, what have you, <laughs> why has it not been a priority for you to learn about the police system here when it ha has been catastrophically failing black citizens for so long? I would be embarrassed to it, to acknowledge that. Yeah. Yeah. And this is the sound we make for you, Lisa Goodman. Okay, well, I was going to say, uh, shame on you, Lisa Goodman. Can I get a shame on you, Lisa Goodman, from you, Jason? Shame on you, Lisa Goodman. Exactly. How was that? I think it's totally appropriate. It's totally okay. appropriate. 
Yeah, there there have been a lot of interesting statements made about the Minneapolis Police Department killing Amir Locke um, from our electeds. Um, Any that stand out to you? The the Lisa Goodman one was one of the the ones that really disappointed me the most. Um, I don't know if you saw uh, Ward 8 Council Member and Council Vice President Andrea Jenkins. No, Council President. Full-on Council council President. president. Yes. Uh, um, Her statement was fascinating. (laughs) Um, Very, very dense. Um, She refers to herself as an empath. Um, mm-hmm. you know, she points out that people should be asking if they can hire black people or young black men. She may specifically call out. Um, but in the course of reading the, the several very dense paragraphs that she wrote, I felt like there was again, no clear, directions, no clear call to action on the part of anyone but citizens. Um, And I think that's one of the the difficult things about looking at our, particularly the council leadership right now, is that very few of them seem like they have the interest to challenge Mayor Fry and to say, like, you need to do something now. Um, rather it's all about how we as a community need to react when we as a community are not the ones supporting MPD and these killings. Well, I'll something important to say here is I think Andrea Jenkins wants to be mayor at some point in the near future. So that'll happen. I don't know. I'm just putting that out there, Mm. but it's also, It's also the case, you look at the 2021 election, the people who paid the price electorally were the council members who tried to take a leadership role on public safety. That was Jacob Fry's secret weapon. These people cropped up with, with their own ideas for how things should go, and he weaponized that against him. One of the easiest things to do in politics is to do nothing. And point at the other side and say, they're the problem. And that that would have been smart politically for the council to simply do the Lisa Goodman routine. This is the mayor's problem. Just repeat that over and over again. If your only goal was to defeat Jacob Fry and secure your own reelection, you do nothing. Don't show any leadership. Say it's his problem. And to their credit, a bunch of council members, Jeremy Schrader, Philippe Cunningham, uh, Steve Fletcher, they spoke out. And I don't think their replacements are up to that standard. They will not take try to take responsibility. Yeah, I, I 100% agree with that. I think that they made that their defining characteristics in running for office, um, particularly Emily Kosky, and Latricia Vita, um, both of them really made the case that they were not going to be like um, Jeremy Schrader and Philippe Cunningham, respectively, that they were going to stay in line, that they were going to, you know, just focus on what is the purview of the council and that they didn't want, they wanted less responsibility as being on the council. Um, you know, it's, and that's disappointing. That's, it's disappointing that people could run campaigns that were, again, cynical and based around recoiling from actual leadership rather than committing to trying to lead and push for better things um, and that they were rewarded. And so when Aisha told us earlier that she was heartened by the fact that other council members, including some of the people who defeated uh, 
the ones that I called out as being particularly brave uh, and politically courageous. When she talked about being heartened by them asking the mayor tough questions, like, of course, that's the political moment we're in. I can remember after George Floyd was killed, I felt really good about the leadership shown by the council and that not just that more that there was unity. It's like we weren't retreating to our camps, no matter where you were before that happened, you were committed to making some changes, some big changes, some necessary changes. Unless you were Lene Palmasano. Even Palmasano. I mean, watching the shift as the politics got hot close to the election of people you know, retreating from that unity, retreating into the, the factions was disappointing. So I don't know that this lasts very much. I don't think. Yeah. It, it's hard to be optimistic for the future. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, we as a society have very short memory for for tragedy unless we're weaponizing it against someone else. And that is how we end up failing, particularly young black men over and over and over again, is we, we don't hold on to the feeling of that tragedy and commit to making anything better. Um, One of the things that, uh, something I got the sense of from Lisa Bender and not based on anything they told me and Jeremy Schrader is that they, it felt like they were just like despondent in despair, like disgusted with what they were seeing of MPD from the inside, like on the city council. And I wonder if that sinks in to some of the new council members who may not, who may have run on a like elect me I'm the pro-police candidate. I will make crime go down. If they go into City Hall and like the, it sinks in, what a dysfunctional and problematic organization the Minneapolis Police Department is. I, I guess they would probably stipulate to that right now, but what are they going to do about it? Right. Yeah. I mean, I think I think it's very difficult to conceive of somebody not being disgusted and despondent with MPD, even from the outside, much less, you know, seeing it and having it be as that much of a part of your day-to-day work life. Um, And I suppose that's why people like Lisa Goodman choose to just turn away from it and pretend it's not anything to do with her, even though, you know, she represents theoretically a 13th of this city. And certainly she does have constituents that are impacted by these things. Something that Jeremiah Ellison talks a lot about uh, and has talked about is the cost of doing business. Like you see these killings as the cost of policing. It's the cost of doing business. It's just something we need to accept. Can't stop it. Like you've got to, you've got to support the police. If you want to be seen as caring about crime, these killings, the killings of Mirlock and uh, George Floyd and the others, it's just the cost of doing business. It's collateral damage. And so I, I don't know what my point is, but I mean, that's a real mindset. It's not, I know it's impolite to say, you don't care about this problem. You don't want to fix it. You're okay with people dying, but it's a, it's a real mindset. These things will just happen. And what can we do? Can't stop it. Right. It's the cost of doing business. Yeah. And I, I think that that is Jacob Fry's mindset. And I think sure, that I sure hope not. I, I hope he's learned a lesson. <laughs> In order to learn, you have to be willing to admit that you didn't know, and I, that is not a strong point of his. But again, there's there's a straight line you can draw from, yeah. from Jacob Fry. Rarely are circumstances this clean. 
of drawing straight lines from someone's lack of action where they should have acted and someone's death. Rarely in government can you draw lines this straight. Right. And even in the immediate aftermath of that, when the city was reeling and certainly is still grieving this, Jacob Fry went on WCCO and said, you know, that his language had become casual or whatever. Throughout a, a campaign, it certainly as more and more people and outside groups began weighing in, language became more casual, uh, including my own. Uh, which did not uh, reflect the necessary precision or nuance, uh, and I own that. He couldn't even admit that he had made a claim that he couldn't back up in reality. Yeah, that was at a council meeting. He was answering uh, Ellison's question. I was surprised he showed up to a council meeting because he had skipped out on council meetings all through 2021, just not showing up. Yeah. Despite the uh, emergency declaration, not showing up for his regular coronavirus reports, just not showing up. Yeah, I mean, I think he he definitely made his contempt for the previous city council quite plain. He used that very cynically in his campaign for re-election that he refused to work with them, that he, you know, certainly made no attempt, made no good faith attempts to to make any changes to MPD, to work with council to implement any changes that they were hearing their constituents ask for. You know, it's, I think that he attended that council meeting because he knew that that would not look good for him this this time around. I think it was Ellison, Councilmember Ellison, who asked uh, the mayor something about like, what is your policy process? Like, how how are you developing these police policies? And I, as a way of giving advice to the mayor, we know he's listening. <laughs> Jacob Fry. What what is your policy process? Is it to get headlines? Are you announcing things for headlines and not not too worried about the substance? Because that's what I suspect. I think you're concerned with how things look, and you're ignoring the substance, and it's gotten someone killed. What else are you overlooking? Will you re-examine your process? Subject it to a little public scrutiny. I don't know. What what advice do you have for the mayor, Jason? What do you want him to do better? Um, first and foremost, I want him to resign. I want him to make a public apology to not to Amir Locke's family and friends and community, but also to apologize to the community of Minneapolis to, to for cynically manipulating the election process for the lies that he told on his campaign. But if he insists on staying in office, I would say that he should live by the transparency that he claims to care so much about. He should voluntarily hold public meetings to discuss policy rather than doing everything behind closed doors. He should take his work groups and make all of their meetings available to the public. Um, if not for participation, at least for review. Right. Um, I am very skeptical of the work groups. I think that's a really good point. And it goes back to the idea that these work groups were for headlines at the time they were announced. Right. I am skeptical they're doing any real work. Why can't we see the work you're doing? It's like yeah. everything else with this mayor. Yeah. So it sounds like good that the mayor has created multiple new work groups to tackle important issues. And what are they doing? Who knows? It's all private. It'll be yeah. announced. Whatever the mayor decides to do will be announced at a later date on the TV news. Yeah. And as somebody, who, you know, 
of Latinx descent, I have been put on many, many diversity work groups and diversity committees and, you know, things like that. And I can say that none of them have ever been given any serious credence from the people that we reported to, the people that formed the work groups. Um, like you said, it's a great way to say that you're addressing a problem without actually having to address the problem. And that is something that Jacob Fry is very good at. It's a good way to end the show. A note of hopelessness. All hope is lost. Nothing matters. <laughs> uh, any other final thoughts or should I just leave it there? Now let's just leave it there. Okay. Uh, I'm going to cut out the part where you say you leave it there. So I sound more decisive in ending the show because asking yeah. for permission just looks bad. Yeah. That's not a My, very strong mayor thing to do. Right. Yeah. Let's, let's bury that clip. <laughs> my my co-host has been Jason Garcia. I'm the superior uh, supervisory host, John the Edwards. The strong host, so to speak. The strong, strong host in the Wedge Live Charter. And this has been the Wedge Live Podcast. Thank you for listening. This is a real, real, real thing. Real, 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 real thing. We're in the wedge neighborhood right now, 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 right now.